God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Omaha. Here's Pastor Chris Haruska. Today we're going to meet two people who are in the very midst of lost pain, suffering, and uncertainty. Okay? That's the context of Jesus interacting with these two characters. The first we're going to meet is this Roman centurion soldier, okay? This guy's a military leader. He's a man's man. He's a person in authority, and yet he's got this burden that he can't shake because he's got a friend who's sick and dying. Then we meet this poor, powerless widow, okay? She's already buried her husband, and now she's getting ready to bury her only son, and the funeral is getting taken place, and you can imagine she's rather emotional. This is the worst day of her life. And City Light, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be uncomfortable, and I don't necessarily enjoy suffering. And guess what? You cannot escape suffering on this side of eternity. Can I just say that? It's going to land on us, all right? So the question I want to prepare the church for is, on those days, where do you run for hope and peace? On your worst days, do you have a hope and a peace that is sufficient for those heavy and hard moments? Because in those moments, like how much you have in the bank account, right, that doesn't necessarily matter. What your job title at work doesn't necessarily matter. I want to argue today that you need a hope that is bigger than those things for those hard days. And I want to show you a Jesus who's actually sufficient for the hardest moments of your life, okay? That's what we're going to see. Jesus interact with these two people, and I think it should do a couple things for us. Now, why do I want to look at this unique passage today? Uh, I think a couple things are going to happen in our hearts. One, I want confidence in the person and work of Jesus Christ to grow within your heart. So if you're a Christian, I want you to know right now through this text, this is not me just telling you this, through this text, your confidence in the person and power of Jesus should grow. It should mean that in every circumstance, whether in life or in death, okay, in blessing or in trial, there should never be a moment in the Christian's life where you do not have hope. Okay? There's nothing too strong, nothing too final, nothing too intimidating, nothing too big for the person and work of Jesus Christ. All right? So I'm hoping the church will say yes and amen. Yes and amen. On my worst days, that this world can take a lot from me. Okay? It can take my hair. It can take my money. It can take even my health. But you know what it cannot take? It cannot take my secure hope in the personal work of Jesus Christ. All right? Um, number two, there's some of you who don't just need hope in the, in the strength of Jesus, but you need the comfort of Jesus today. Um, And what you're going to see here is he's not just this strong miracle worker who can flex on death. He's this compassionate, tender, merciful guy who actually moves towards people and gives them way more than they deserve. Okay, he sees them. His heart breaks for them. And I'm hoping that this will uh, this will maybe change the way that you interact with Jesus, even in this next week. He's compassionate. He's tender. He sees you. Okay, that's what we're going to see in our text. Now, where are we at in Luke chapter seven? Chapter 6 has all been focused on Jesus' teaching. If you go through that chapter, he starts with his Beatitudes. He's talking about his kingdom values. This is what should define the Christian or the disciple's life. Then he's talking about loving your enemies. Then he's contrasting how the gospel is different than religion, okay? A lot of different teaching. That's been the focus of Jesus. He just preached the Sermon on the Plain. Now, chapter 7, it's all about who is Jesus, and he's going to answer this question of who he is offstage, outside of his teaching and preaching. How does he interact with people who need to be forgiven? Right? This scandalous woman is going to interrupt a dinner party with the Pharisees. He's going to lavish her with grace and let her know her sins are forgiven. Okay? Then there's this doubting um, prophet, John the Baptist. He's locked up in jail. He sends word to Jesus. I'm not doing well. Are you really the Christ? How does God interact with somebody dealing with doubt? You're going to see that. And then in our story, we see, how does he deal with these people? you got a woman who's literally weeping and mourning and in sad place. She's a, not a woman of social status or wealth or influence. How does he deal with her? And then how does he deal with this centurion soldier who has a need. And on the outside, this guy looks like the dude who would be furthest from God. 
How does he deal with this guy? And so we're going to see those two things in our context. Again, I have five points this morning. This whole book is all about Jesus, okay? I hope you're here today because you want to see Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. You want to live like Jesus. You want to root your hope and security and identity on the person and work and promises of Jesus. And so um, I just want to warn you, church, you might not hear anything new. And I just want you to know that's okay. Because I think sometimes you need to be reminded of the fundamental truths about who he is. I don't know what you've been looking at all week right? Um, Fox News, CNN, stuff on Twitter, all the stuff, right? You've got gas prices rising, stock markets falling, all the things that are just competing for your time and attention. People are already geared up about political stuff in a couple of years, like, oh, it's going down in two years. You know, like all the things. What I want to invite the church to do is, could we just come back? Could we see not that just Jesus is useful today to get us out of hell and get us into heaven, but he's altogether beautiful. He's beautiful. There's something different about this guy. It makes me want to worship him and know him and interact with him and serve him and listen to him. So would we come back to Jesus today? I hope I can get an amen for that one. Can I really get an amen right now? Okay, nobody's giving me amens. I got one sister again up front. All right, here we go. Five things I want to show you. Jesus draws near to the suffering and the sick. Jesus draws near to the suffering and sick. Again, I want to open up our Bibles, slow down and show it to you because I think there's, a, there's an easy ability to, lie, uh, to believe a lie about God that like God is a creator, he's powerful, but he's distant from his people. He doesn't really care about my personal problems, so I'm actually kind of alone in the midst of the pain. Let me show you how Jesus moves towards us, all right? Uh, Verse one, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent uh, to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he is one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus, look at verse six, I'm gonna come back to this. And Jesus went with them. So here we go. The Bible starts by introducing us to our character and our uh, our context. We understand where we're at. We're in Capernaum. This is a very small town, uh, about a hundred people on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. This is not Jerusalem. This is not the big city. Uh, This is kind of in the sticks, a rural area. Uh, Additionally, this has become Jesus's ministry headquarters. He got ran out of Nazareth, his hometown, right? So it didn't go well there. He's relocated here and we see the situation. Here's what's going on. There's a centurion who's a military Roman soldier. This, this title of centurion means century. It means a hundred, okay? So this is a Roman soldier who would oversee a hundred different military Roman soldiers in this area. He was located in this post uniquely to help do a couple different things. Uh, he was there to keep the peace. He wanted to make sure there was no kind of uprising. Additionally, he was there to collect taxes from the people, all right? So that was his role. And he's got a situation. One of his servants who he loves is sick. And now he's heard about this Jesus who can heal sick people, all right? So he probably would have tried the medical experts and the doctors and everybody around him and tried to get this guy healthy. And when that failed, he said, hey, I've heard some stories about this guy named Jesus. Maybe we could figure out a way to get Jesus to help with this situation. So this is not normal in a couple of things. If you're reading this um, in the early context as a kind of a, a first generation Bible reader, you would have noticed a couple of things would have just kind of happened. Number one, it's not normal for Romans to have compassion on sick people. That's just not normal. Like life is not a high value in the Roman empire, okay? So just that this guy is gonna burden himself for one of his servants kind of stands out. There's something different. This guy's compassionate, right? Like he's not indifferent towards his servant's sickness. He's gonna do something about it. Additionally, he's trying to figure out the best strategy. (laughs) So he says, Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is this Jewish teacher and miracle worker. 
And I know some Jewish guys because I've been involved in the building of the synagogue here. So I'm going to go to the Jewish guys and ask the Jewish guys to go to the other Jewish guys and see if Jesus will come and grant my request. All right. And so the, the appeal of these Jewish leaders to Jesus is, hey, listen, this guy's worthy. He's good. He's been financially generous towards our people. So Jesus hears their plea. And it look at verse six, it says this, Jesus went with them. So Jesus is willing to come heal this man. He stops what he's doing. He starts walking over to this Gentile's house who's got a sick servant who he's never met. Guys, can we just say, if you're reading this, this feels like a very random request. This could have been viewed as an interruption or an inconvenience or not as significant as his preaching ministry or not as urgent as his disciple-making ministry. Or he could have just wanted, if we're keeping it 100% real, to avoid sick, needy people for a day. Is that, is that okay to say? But what does Jesus do? Right? What does he do? He actually moves his body. He says, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to move towards the sick person who has a need. That's what I'm going to do with my day. Right? And now the main point of this whole story is going to be shown later. That this Gentile person has faith that Jesus is going to champion and say, guys, pay attention, church. Out of everybody who you would think should, should be an example of faith, what it looks like to be a mature follower of Christ, it's not the religious leader, it's not the person who's memorized the verses, it's not the paid professional, it's this military guy. That's what Jesus is going to say, and it's going to be the most shocking thing in this passage. But I don't want you to miss this beautiful action of Jesus. Jesus moves towards the sick. And Psalm 34 says this, that he is near to the brokenhearted. And I want you to know that the Bible shows that Jesus moves in towards the people uh, who are suffering and is sick. Like if you just zoom out on the scriptures, like what is the story that the Bible tells, right? God creates the world. The world rebels against its creator. Jesus, the Prince of heaven, second member of the Godhead in Trinity looks down at humanity and all of its chaos, all of its brokenness, all of its weakness, all of its fragileness. And what does he do? He says, man, that's a mess. I'm keeping my distance. No, he says, no, I'm gonna put on flesh. Okay, I'm gonna make myself um, weak in some ways. I'm gonna move into time and space. I'm gonna endure persecution and I'm gonna put myself next to people who are hurting, suffering, sinning, and dying. That's what I'm gonna do. And then he's here and after his preaching ministry. What does he do? He hears about a person in need and he walks over to the house. That's Jesus, that's Jesus. And so I just wanna say, church, if you're in a hard season, maybe you're in a place right now where you just feel burdened. I want you to know, don't just try to grit this out. Don't just try to put your head down. I'm gonna just push through, right? Don't buy into this lie that God is distant. I want you to know that you have a Jesus who is near to you right now. In the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the story being written, in the midst of the pain points, in the midst of the burdens, your God is not impersonal and distant. Our God is near. Our God is near. He never leaves nor forsakes. He draws near to the brokenhearted. That's the promise of scripture. That's the character of our God. That's what he does. Now, the question out here is, how is, this, um, how is this military leader gonna approach Jesus in a way that actually warrants him to actually give blessing to his servant, okay? Is he gonna try to say, hey, here's my resume, here's why I deserve it, or is he gonna say, hey, here's why you're good and I need your mercy? I wanna show you this, this second point is this. Jesus is merciful and gives us more than we deserve. Look at verse six. And Jesus went with them and he was not far from the house. So Jesus was on his way. The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority. The soldiers under me, uh, with soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to 
uh, my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So again, you've got these two waves of messengers going to Jesus from the centurion. The first one of the religious leaders, they come and say, guess what? This guy's got a need. And of all the people in this area, this guy's worthy. Let me tell you all about what this guy's done. I'm telling you, he's been generous. He helped fund the building of our synagogue, right? Like he paid for this. He, he's been generous towards, he's involved in his community. He's been nice to us. He knows our names. He cares for us. He's not one of those weird guys that oppresses the church. He's actually been nice to us. So he deserves this blessing, Jesus. Come, of all the people in this town that you should grant a miracle to, it's him, okay? And what is these guys doing? They're using a religious resume to try to warrant God's acceptance and favor in this moment. And by the way, this is what religion does. Religion is man-centered. God, this is why you owe me, because I'm good. This is what I deserve from you, okay? This is why I'm declared worthy, all right? This is what religion does. And by the way, this is what the religious leaders are doing to Jesus to get him to come over. And it's just so interesting that it's so easy to kind of make fun of this because we know this, that this doesn't work. By the way, if you wanna know how religion works, if you play this game before a heavenly God, I'll just tell you right now, it's gonna happen in two things. One, you're gonna be really prideful because you think you are worthy and no one else is. And there's going to be a spirit of pride in your heart. Look at how awesome I'm. I'm a better dad than my dad was. I'm a better parent than my mom was. I've been a more faithful spouse than somebody else was. Uh, I've been sober longer. I'm more deserving, right? Or what's going to happen is you're going to feel absolutely devastated by your inability to be as awesome as you hope to be. And you're just going to be stuck in this posture of guilt and shame because you're trying to earn it and you know you can't. And you see all your faults. And so you just cannot get past your own misses in life. That's where religion takes you. But all the more we need to learn from the second wave of messengers who come and listen, here's what he says. I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not deserving of better. I'm not entitled. I may have done a few good things, but you're not in my debt. I'm in need of your mercy. This is how this guy appeals to Christ. And by the way, I think this is how we come to Christ. Amen. Um, This is our posture as the people of God. We don't come and say, hey, here's why I deserve you to bless me today. We say, God, if you've given me anything more than hell and condemnation, you've already blessed me. Nobody's giving me an amen to that one. Okay. Well, the Bible is very clear that because of our sin and rebellion, both self-righteousness and rebellion, rule breaking, all of that, what do we really deserve before a holy God is condemnation, hell, wrath forever. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is I've not only put the breath in your lungs, but I've given you my divine favor and adoption into my family, forgiveness of sin, a righteousness that you can't earn. And so so you don't come to God and say, I deserve this. What we deserve is not good, but what we get in the gospel is beautiful. Amen? And he says, I'm not worthy of any of it. I'm not worthy of any of it. I'm not appealing to you, God, based on the merits of my goodness, but simply on the basis of your goodness. I'm not here to show you my merits. I'm here to ask for your mercy. That's the posture of this guy. It's so awesome. And then he, he realizes there's a couple of things. He's not just realizing his spiritual condition before Jesus, but he's actually understanding the divine authority. He says, by the way, Jesus, I understand authority. I'm in it. I, I've got people who report to me. I report to somebody. Uh, and so I understand that when I say to go do something, guess what? My soldiers underneath me, they go do things. And if I've got that authority that was given to me by the Roman empire, if I know what that looks like, right? Then all the more you being the king of heaven, You being in this text, what does he call him? Your Lord. If you have the power through your word to speak and say, let there be light and there's light. If that's who you are, if you have that power and authority, then you don't need to take another step, Jesus. 
You don't even need to enter into my house. You don't need to come and lay hands. All you have to do is say a word with your divine power and my servant will be healed. And Jesus pauses right there. He says, oh, there's not one in Israel who gets it like this guy. Not one in all of the people of God that I've interacted with so far that understand their spiritual condition and who I am at a divine level. He champions this guy and makes him a model of faith, which is amazing. So the scene ends with this centurion friend actually being healed. But can I just tell you, if you read over this and it was like, oh, this is another miracle just trying to show that Jesus is powerful. That's actually not the main intention of this text. God is a miracle worker. But what he's actually trying to communicate is that this centurion figure who everybody would have thought of, there's no way he's going to be the one that Jesus champions and says, be like him. He's the one living out the Beatitudes. He's the one loving his enemies. He's the one being faithful and humble before a holy God. No, no, no. Jesus says, that's actually this guy. Which church, what does that mean for you and me? What, is it, what bearing does this have on our lives, right? It's really good news. It's really good news because there's not one of you in this room, regardless of where you come from or what you have done, that can say, Jesus doesn't have a seat for me at his table. Because what he's communicating right here is that his kingdom is filled with misfits and overlooked and unexpected people. That's really good news for me. That's really good news from you. If your grandpa wasn't a pastor and his grandpa wasn't a pastor and his grandpa wasn't a pastor and they were missionaries and stuff, if that's your story, praise be to God. But if you also come from addiction, brokenness, divorce, and all kinds of chains of wickedness, I just want you to know that Jesus Christ can write a new story. That's what's happening to this man's life. That's awesome. And that's good news. All right, so there's this transition happening in the text, right? First, he works with the centurion, heals his servant, champions this man's faith, and then he's going to interact with this widow who's just buried her son, okay? So let me just show you how this situation works out. Verse 11, all right? Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nan, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. All right, third thing I want to show you here is Jesus is compassionate, not indifferent towards your suffering. Okay, so this is not just a new story, but it's happening in a new location. Nan was 25 miles south of Capernaum. So Jesus is walking to this town, probably to preach, teach, do miracles. Uh, but as he's moving into this community, there's a funeral procession walking out, right? So in this context, you had to bury uh, uh, dead people very quickly, right? They don't have all of the technology of embalming as we do today. So very quickly, a funeral would happen. And if you were somebody who had lost someone, you would hire professional mourners um, to actually go and mourn with you. And they would weep and they would wail and they would mourn and they would scream. And it was their way of communicating to the community around them that our family in a season of mourning. There's no confusion when this funeral procession is coming out of the city. This is not a wedding. This is not a feast. This is not a celebration. This is filled with sad people who are mourning the loss of someone they love. And as we learn here, we don't just learn what's happening. We learn about this woman. So we learn that she's a widow and she's burying her only son. So that's a lot of context here, okay? What that means is that she's already buried her husband, um, but now she's burying her only son, which means very practically, right? This woman has lost all financial, economic, and social standings. So at this time, to, to lose your husband and your only son, which means there's no one in the family who can own property, there is no protector, there is no provider, there's no one to take care of her as she's aging. The way this whole society was set up is that you have children because your children are actually um, responsible for taking care of you as you age. 
right? So like in our culture, it's a little bit different. We parents take care of our kids and then we're, we're kind of done. And this, like, no, you've you got to take care of your parents to the very end, right? So th- that's how this whole thing worked. There was no, like, retirement communities where we send people. It's like, they live in your basement forever, all right? Uh, and so that's what's happening. She is extraordinarily sad. She's mourning that she has heard her son laugh for the last time, and this is, seems to be the end. So I just want to say that this is a really hard place, right? Um, she's in a place of extraordinary sadness. And I just want to say, have you ever been in this place? Can I just say that, church? Like, have you ever been in a place where you lost your job, you lost a loved one, the people you thought were going to be there for you suddenly are not, the investment went bad, the business partnership went bad, the marriage went bad, the treatments didn't work, and you know in all of your power and your personality, all of your words, all of your good intentions, you just can't bring that person back and you can't hold that relationship together. Have you ever been there where it feels hopeless? Yeah, me too. That's why I love Jesus. I want you to see that he doesn't just look the other way. What he does is he sees this woman weeping as she comes down the road. And I want you to just see how beautiful this is. The text says that he sees her. When you're in suffering, does it not matter that people see you? He sees this woman. He knows her pain. He sees her vulnerable lot in life. He sees that death seems to have taken something invaluable from her. And Jesus doesn't just see her, he moves towards her, he speaks to her, and he's gonna give everything back to her that death seems to have taken. And I love our text because it doesn't just tell you the power of our Jesus, but the very heart of our Jesus. It says that he had compassion on her. That means that he sympathized, that he had a burden for her suffering and her pain, that he let it land on his heart. He wasn't indifferent towards it. He felt it, he stood with it. So why do I want you to see this? Because God is not indifferent towards your pain points that you're carrying right now. Life on this side of eternity is going to come with really hard days and really hard seasons. And the lie that you can believe is that God doesn't care. I've got to kind of just move on. I've got to try to hold this burden that God is indifferent towards my pain. That is a lie from hell. City Light Church, God doesn't just want to get you out of hell and into heaven. God doesn't want to just use you to be a blessing to other people. God doesn't just want to change and transform and sanctify you over time. He wants to do all those things. I want you to know right now that God loves you. He sees you. His heart breaks for you. He can sympathize with you because he's had some hard days. That's our Jesus. And see, like, this doesn't just change our vertical relationship with him, does it? I hope you understand that you have a compassionate God who can sympathize with you right now. That should change where you run. You're not running away from an angry dictator when you're in seasons of suffering. You're running to a compassionate God who actually has mercy for you, okay? But I also think that changes how we move towards one another. And so what I'm trying to say, church, is when you see this Jesus, this compassion, does it not change the way that we interact with one another? I I think it calls us to not say, you're going to be a burden to my day and a downer, but to say, no, 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 I'm stepping into that mess with you. Because when I needed compassion, my Jesus moved towards me. Amen? Amen. Let me show you verse four, or the fourth thing I want to show you. Jesus gets the final word over death. Your tears are temporary. Your tears are temporary. All right, here's what it says. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the briar and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. So again, if you're watching this unfold, I'm inviting you right now to get out of this room And just literally put yourself on this dusty, weird road in the middle of the Middle East. Sit in this room with me. Walk on this road with me. 
If Jesus, if you're following him into this town and you see this funeral processional and there's some guys holding a box with a dead boy inside of it, right? That's what's happening. You got a mother who's crying and weeping and this is the worst day of her life. And then Jesus does something that just seems extraordinarily not normal. Like, can we acknowledge that Jesus walks up to this woman on the worst day when she's crying and says, hold those tears back, mama. Can you just hold that for real quick? Like he says, please do not weep. Do not weep. Now, I don't know if you've been to a funeral, but just imagine you're at a funeral this week and you go up to the mom and be like, hey, I know you're crying. I'm gonna need you to stop crying, okay? Do not weep. Seems a little not socially normal. And if you're not socially normal, take great joy that Jesus breaks social norms, okay? That was my personal application. And then, and then what you see is Jesus doesn't just break the social norms here. He breaks the religious rules. So the religious rules here is that you're not supposed to touch a dead body because if you touch a dead body, you're, you're, you're labeled unclean and there's all these ceremony things you have to do to become clean before you can come back into the sanctuary and got the people. But guess what? Jesus is not worried about being defiled by death because he's gonna undo death. And so he touches this dead man's body and he says, arise. He says, arise. The same thing he's gonna say to you after your final breath on this side, if you're a Christian, arise. The young man comes back to life. His lungs fill with air. His heart starts pumping. His eyes come back to life and he starts talking again. And I love how beautiful this moment is. Can you imagine how tender this is? Jesus looks at the mother and says, here's your son back. Here's your son back. Jesus is redeeming this woman's story. He's giving to this widow when no one else could. He's freeing this man from the chains of death and giving him life. And City Light Church, what does this mean for you? I already told you. It means that there's no situation in your life, whether in sickness or in health, or even on your deathbed where you will be without hope. That is the hope of the gospel. Your hope is sufficient for not just your good moments, but your actual worst moments on this side. In suffering, God is near. In sickness, we know that he will either heal you on this side or on the other side, but our God always heals. And in death, we know that Jesus has the power over the grave. The grave has lost its sting. Do you know what the Bible says about death? Oh, death, where is your sting? The tomb is empty. Your savior is alive and he has made this beautiful promise to you. I am the resurrection and life. If you believe in me, though you may perish, you will live again. That changes not just how I'm living today, but that changes how I die. That changes how I die with confidence that this is not just the end of my story, that I'm not just going into a box to become death, but that God is going to transition me from this side of glory to the other and sit me at a table I don't deserve because of mercy. That's awesome. Amen? So this is the hope that we have in the gospel. And church, I hope that you're living your life on this hope. When you see other Christians walking through pain and suffering, we lament with them, we mourn with them, we have compassion on them, but Christians, we never lose our hope. Doesn't matter who gets elected in this next election. Does not matter what happens in the stock market. Does not matter with all the relationships we're trying to, to actually trying to navigate. What really truly matters in all of this is we never, ever, ever, ever lose hope in a God who's powerful and able. Amen. He's canceling funerals. He's given life. Fourth thing, the last thing on the table is who is this Jesus, right? If you see Jesus step onto a funeral scene and cancel the funeral, you got to ask the question is who is this dude? All right. So that's the question. Fifth thing I want to show you is Jesus is greater than the prophets of old. He's the God who's come to rescue and redeem. So verse 16, fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole region or the whole Judea and all the surrounding country. So again, Jesus turns this funeral, this sadness into dancing, into celebration. And the people of God are looking and they're saying, 
how does this happen? Like, this is not normal. Who is this guy? We've heard about his preaching, but now we've just witnessed a miracle and this is unmatched authority. So who is he? And they immediately go back to their Bibles, right? So they're seeing this through an Old Testament lens and they're saying, where else have we seen someone sent by God with the power to raise a widow's son from death to life? And they go back all the way to 1 Kings to Elijah. And Elijah has this scene in 1 Kings where he literally is staying with this widow and the widow has a child, the child dies uh, and Elijah stretches his body over the child, prays to God and the child comes back to life. And so in their minds, these people are saying, we've seen this before. God has sent us another prophet. This must be Elijah who's come back. There's a power here. We recognize the power, but they're seeing in part and they're not seeing whole. Jesus is not just a prophet that has been sent. He is a prophet, priest, and king, the ultimate one, the Hebrews would, say, Hebrews would say. But he's more than that. He's the creator of the world. He's the prince of heaven. And he's come not just to perform miracles or preach sermons. He's ultimately come to be the sacrificial lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, to take and step into the wrath of God that we deserve so we could enjoy the grace of God. He's come not just to pay the penalty for our sin, but to conquer our enemies of Satan, sin, and death once and for all. That's what Jesus has done. And that's who he is. And the question I have to ask us with church is, who is Jesus to you? Because it doesn't necessarily matter who is Jesus to me, but in 10,000 years, it's gonna matter who is Jesus to you. And I wanna say, if you've been here today and you're familiar with Jesus and you've heard songs about Jesus and you've talked to people who love Jesus and you've got friends who, who believe in him and love him and serve him and sing to him and, and base their whole life on him, but you've never seen yourself as that dead kid in the box that needed to be raised from death to life because that's where we're at in this story. Not people who committed our way from this side to the other side, but people have been awoken from a spiritual death to a new life by the power of Christ. If you've never seen yourself in that, as that person in that place, I just wanna invite you today to believe in him. And I would ask you, why would you not wanna believe in him? He's merciful, powerful, able, kind, generous, gives truth, gives more than we deserve. Would you believe in him today and start your relationship with him? Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Chris Haruska of City Light Omaha. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.